Hello and welcome to 90 Years Strong, the Monroe College story, where we dive into the rich tapestry of the Monroe College legacy. Join us as we uncover the inspiring journeys, remarkable achievements, and transformative experiences of students, faculty, and alumni across the decades. From the challenges faced to the triumphs celebrated, each episode will paint a vivid picture of resilience, growth, and the unwavering spirit that has made Monroe College an educational powerhouse. This podcast embodies the spirit of being 90 years strong in academic excellence. So get ready to be inspired, educated, and motivated. My name is Amory Ferguson, and I am a proud alum of Monroe College. I am so happy to be the host of the 90 Years Strong, the Monroe College podcast series. This is our inaugural session of a nine-part series. And today I have the extreme pleasure of speaking with none other than Chairman of the Board, Mr. Stephen Jerome. Chairman Jerome will be sharing with us the history of the college started from 1933 to 1950, but just with a sprinkle of over the years, some of the history that we have probably either been a part of or that we'll hear today. Welcome, Mr. Jerome. Could you tell us a little bit about how Monroe College came into existence? Good morning, Anne-Marie, and it is very nice to be with you today, especially to talk about the history of Monroe College, which today, Monroe College is 90 years old. So it's in a very exciting year for us. I'll, I'll go back to 1933, which was a depression year. And we had a young single woman by the name of Mildred King, who was working at a small little business school in the east part of the Bronx, near the Bronx Zoo. And the school went out of business. Mildred King decided that she was going to buy the assets of this little school. And she did, and she then gave it a name, and the name was Monroe Secretarial School. And the reason she picked Monroe is because Monroe High School was close by, and she felt that maybe some of the Monroe High School graduates would come to Monroe Secretarial School. The name actually came from Monroe High School. People always thought maybe it came from James Monroe when he was president, but it really came from the high school that was near us at West Farms in the Bronx. It was on Boston Road and Tremont Avenue. And this was the beginning in January 1933 of now Monroe College starting. Unbelievably so, in 1933, very few single women were starting a business by themselves, especially being that we were in a depression and started to coming out of a depression. So it was very exciting. She started with seven students who all graduated a four-year college with liberal arts and had no skills to make a living. So they came to us to take secretarial studies, which was shorthand and typing. They came to us to take bookkeeping, to become a bookkeeper. They came to us to run a switchboard, to do a comptometry. And that was the very beginning of now what we call Monroe College. And it started and she was there and each year she added a few more students. And then 1936, she was joined by her actually brother-in-law, her sister Lucille Jerome's husband, who actually graduated Fordham University School of Pharmacy in 1932. 
And when Harry Jerome graduated with a partner, he owned a drugstore in New York City, and he was working seven days a week, about 20 hours a day, and decided in 1936 to go back to NYU and take some education courses, which he did, and he joined Mildred. And at that point, maybe they had 50 students. So this was really the beginning of two people working together and happened to be related, which was interesting. Women at first were the majority of our student population, and it was very busy. Everyone dressed in business attire. Everyone, we took them out to the World's Fair that was going on way back in those years. And actually, the first time we really started seeing men, and I I was not around, of course, at this point, was in World War II, when World War II started to be over in 1943-44, we started seeing men come to the college, and these men were on the veterans' bill, so the government was paying their education. Now we had men coming in to learn bookkeeping and learning skills to work in an office and learning management skills. And now all of a sudden, the school really started growing. And I think that, unfortunately, out of war, this was the one good thing that came was education, and this was the start of the Veterans Training Bill. And it went on into the 50s because in the 50s, we had the Korean War. And the same thing happened at the end of the Korean War, all the men and women, and we had women in the military who were in the Korean War, they started coming to Monroe also under the Veterans Training Act, and they started getting education. So over the years between 1933 and 1966, this little business school started growing. And by 1966, they were now up to 250 students. And then at this point, I, Stephen Jerome, joined Monroe. I was out of school. I worked a few years before I came into the college. It actually a very interesting business called Saxon Paper and very successful. When I arrived, interesting, in January 1966, New York City was going through a transit strike. We did not have buses running. We did not have trains running. And New York was actually at a standstill. You couldn't go anywhere unless you could find a taxi. And my first job was to pick up two maintenance gentlemen who lived in the South Bronx. And I picked them up every morning and brought them to the school. And that was my beginning. And I started learning all parts of this. And I said, okay, I'm going to be here the rest of my life. And my first big decision was two years after I started, I had a lovely secretary by the name of Linda Manor. And she told me she was going to be getting married. And would I come to the wedding? And I said, yes. And I went home and I told my lovely wife, we have to make a decision because if we go to Linda Manor's wedding, we're going to have to go to everyone else's wedding and everyone else's bar mitzvah. And unfortunately, at funerals, and this is where I was going to start spending my life. So Harry Jerome ran the administrative part of Monroe. Mildred King ran the education part of Monroe. I taught in the morning, and I did everything else in the school in the afternoon. And I started going out to various agencies to try to bring in some students, which I did. And then the school started growing. 
and we all worked together very well. And then in 1971, beginning of 72, Mildred decided to retire, and this was a new part of my life. And now at the end of 72, we gave her a party. She retired. And now I was working with my father, and who was really a marvelous individual, and we started bringing in our first computer. Everything in those years came from IBM. And we then took some new space up the block, and we built some new classrooms. So we started in 1966 with 250 students, and that started growing a little bit. And I kept going out to bring in more students, and I went to some high schools. I went to more of these agencies, and this was the year that President Johnson started coming into office and started saying that we have to have a great society, so money went to agencies to educate people, and Stephen Jerome kept going out to these agencies and bringing in more students, and then we dealt with a whole division called OVR, Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, that dealt with students who were having some kind of handicaps, and we started educating that group. So it started becoming a lot more interesting. We started growing in the amount of people working at the college, or I'll say the school at this point. And what happened was the city of New York decided that they're coming out with something called community colleges. And in community colleges, they were able to go from high school to a community college and really not pay anything. And they were offering a number of courses that we were not offering. And I decided being that I was trying to take charge a little bit. And at this point, 1972, I was 31 years of age. My father was busy making sure things ran well. Uh, my mother now opened up another part of the school on Fordham Road. So we now had a little branch campus on Fordham Road, and we had our main campus at West Farms. And now I said, okay, in order to compete, we have to start bringing in some new courses. So we started adding more courses to our curriculum. We were then able to attract more people because we had this little competition called Community College that really could have put you out of business in a minute. But because we were growing and now we're in the mid-70s and we looked like we were having our first sports team and I was the basketball coach. So we started a basketball team. And who did we play? We didn't play other schools because they really didn't exist at this point, except community colleges, but they were good. So we played the police department basketball team, the fire department basketball team, the sanitation department basketball team. And then we actually started playing some community colleges. And then at some point in the next couple of years, we hired a basketball coach. So Monroe kept growing. And the one nice thing that Monroe offered that many other schools did not or colleges did not offer was personalized attention. Thank you for that. I love that you're sharing that history with us. As we celebrate 90 years of Monroe College, what were some of the initial goals and aspirations of the founders when they started this institution? When I think of now Mildred King and Harry Jerome, when they basically started 1933-1936, I, I think the main concept of this is, one, first survival. Anytime you start something, it's hard 
to survive, and they did survive. And I think they they bought in their minds that they want to do it very well, and they want to make sure that anyone who comes to this institution will learn the skills where they could make a living and graduate. So the basis was a lot of effort went into an employment department to make sure that every student who finished in those years, it was a three-month course, a six-month course, a 10-month course, and the longest maybe a year course, that they were fit to go out and make a living. And I think as the years went on and it became more sophisticated, that never changed. And that has never changed through the 90 years that we are in existence, that we want to make sure that when a student leaves this college today, as we did back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and so on, that they were really prepared to go out and make a good living. And that has held true to this day. At the time when I was a student going to Monroe, the location for me, being at the Fordham Road, Bronze campus was so important. Reason being is because I've always been a working class student, right? So location where I went to school had to, was so important because I would go to work. And then after work, I would go to, to school. So why was the Bronx campus so important? That location of being on Fordham Road, where, like I said, for me, it was just so easy to jump on the number four train and be at work and be at school in 30 minutes. Well, when, Henry, when you go back to the 30s and 40s and 50s, let's understand most people did not have a car. Okay, so public transportation was a major part of, especially the borough of the Bronx. And the Bronx, the West Farms location was right in the middle of a hub. The five train, all the buses came there. So it was very easy to get to. When we eventually opened up also on Fordham Road in the Bronx, that we were near the D train, we were there, the four train, and all the buses came there. So it was a natural for us that people, even coming out of New York City, and we had people coming from Brooklyn, that taking the trains, everything stopped at both campuses. So really, we were very accessible to anyone who really wanted to come here because they could jump on pretty much any bus on the east side of the Bronx or any bus on the white side of the Bronx, plus we had the four train, we had the five train, and Fordham, we also had the D train. That, that, I think, helped us a great deal. You didn't have to do a lot of walking to get to the campus. It was really it's safe haven in those years. You could go out at 11 o'clock at night and take a walk. You never had a concern. Things are really fine. So as the college kept growing, and, and the one major reputation the college was, was really getting was the culture of the college that this college really cared about the students, wanted the students to do well. Besides how many started, our great concern was how many graduated, did we get them a good job? And the thing that we did very well was 90, 90 plus percent always got a job as soon as they graduated from us, okay? We were giving, in the first year, just certificates. We were not giving degrees, degrees really came around in the 70s and things were very different in the 70s. So when you talk about phase one, you could talk about the 30s, 40s, 50s, and maybe even into the 60s. Computerization started, IBM Key Punch started. We started with our first card reader, which was a 407 computer. We then went to a System 3 computer. We went to then a 1401 computer. We went to then 
a 360s computer. But interesting, as I think back in my now 57 years involved with the college, that IBM in the beginning was the main server of all the technical things we had at the college. And I think it was interesting. We had a very close relationship with them and they really serviced us very well. And the nice thing we knew was students were really being properly trained to go out and get a good job. And that was something that led us through 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, which was the first 40 years of Monroe. So now that we talked about transformation, you talked about how important the culture of the school was. What were some of the challenges that was faced in, I wouldn't even say the 30s, like the 40s and the 50s, and also maybe coming up a little bit to when you started getting more involved? What were some of those challenges at that time? I, I think the biggest challenge we always had is that it was just free higher education from the city of New York between community colleges with, with the two-year schools, which would be our greatest at that point competition. But then you had the f- whole four-year CUNY system. The one thing we knew is we had to add more courses to be in competition with them. Two, we had to do it better. Okay, and the question, was it worth paying for to go to a private college against where you could go to a public institution and it cost you very little? And we always took the um, position that you get what you pay for. When you're going to a private college, we felt we're going to give services better than any public institution. We're going to be more concerned with placement. We're going to be more concerned with success because our success did not go on as a public institution was getting a budget from the city in this case, okay, ours had to come from real true tuition and students being satisfied and students being happy. And then what we really saw is that one student was recommending another student, then another student was recommending. And then we had a father and a son, or we had a mother and a daughter. So word started spreading that this was really a very nice place to go to. It was a homey feeling. You didn't get lost. If you had trouble, there were tutors, there were people you could go to. And in the Bronx, especially, a, a lot of special services was needed and students did very well. They came out, they got excellent jobs, they worked for hospitals eventually and in accounting. We were still basically in the business skills of what we were teaching. We did not leave that as time went on and we get into the 70s, we started adding programs that we never had going back to the 30s, 40s, 50s. Today, you never heard of a key punch operator. You never heard of a contometer operator. You never heard of someone running a switchboard, which was a PBX switchboard. And these were all occupations that people had at the, when they were graduating to college. Tuition was very inexpensive. Keeping students in without losing them was very important to us. We had great accountability of every classroom. A lot of the teaching, which is interesting, was done on a per-person basis. So I used to teach an accounting class, and in that accounting class, I could have students in accounting one, two, and three, and I really worked with them individually. Now, that changed over the years, but it worked fine in those years. So I would call someone up to my desk, we would go over the lesson, we would go over a new lesson, and that person may be taking accounting one or shorthand one, and then they'd go back and we'd do the next chapter with them, and they can move 
at their pace as fast as they wanted to move. And people like that. Right. So I'm hearing a couple of things that actually set Monroe apart is like the specialized attention to students, which is important. Correct. The culture, easy access for people to get to the school, which is very important. But as time went on, what are one or two things that you could discuss with us that was so important for you as the president? So we're coming into the time when you became president. What are one or two things that you can discuss that stands out for you as the president and now chairman of the board, because we started in the beginning, we're like pulling now the school through the 60s, 70s, and even what it is today. What are some things that you, maybe two things you could say that stand out to you and that was important in your life as the president? When Mildred retired in 1972, my father became the president. But what really happened is I really started running the college. I was relatively a young person in my young 30s. I was 31 in 1973. And the one thing I felt was, let's bring in the best kind of teachers or professors that we could bring in, uh, make sure they have a great working background in the field they're teaching for us. So that was number one. Number two is, let's start making the college more personal. Let's have functions. Let's invite them. Let's invite their families. If they're married, let's invite their spouses. Uh, When we eventually got to having more children around us, we had Christmas parties for their children. So things, we were the size, we were able to do things that made everything very personal. So students, if they didn't have a great family life, they had a great family life at Monroe, okay? And then we became Monroe Business Institute. So that was important for us. And, and we kept looking to add more programs, more sophistication, instead of accounting just one, two, and three, all of a sudden we had accounting one, two, and three, and intermediate accounting, and cost accounting, and Life went on. We had finance classes and in secretarial skills, we started changing what we were doing. Computers became much more sophisticated. We kept changing computers. So a, a whole culture started coming about. That culture really started when I was a freshman and sophomore out in Ohio in college that really we had no one we could go to. And as a young 18-year-old and 19-year-old, I felt really that's very sad that if I had a problem and I I did have a counselor, but I was never able to find my counselor. Counselor was never around. You wanted to bring about change when you came, became the president of Monroe. This was more of a public situation. And then in, in the 70s, I then became president in 1978. So this was a major change. My father started stepping aside. Fortunately, he was feeling okay and um, spending more time with my mother. And my mother worked at this college also when we opened up the Fordham campus. My mother was there. And we kept looking. I was a little concerned about the Bronx at the end of the 70s. The Bronx started having some problems. The Bronx started having some crime problems. The Bronx started having some fires. So now I'm into the beginning of the 80s, even though we're getting larger. And then we eventually closed the West Farms campus and moved everything to Fordham Road. And now I'm watching what's happening to the Bronx and I'm a young guy and I have a lot of young people working for me, plus people of all ages. And I said, in case they can't stop the Bronx from burning, we're going to be in trouble. People are not wanting to go out at night. People are going to be afraid of things. 
So I made a decision. We had a very fine gentleman with us by the name of John Milibank, and he was our vice president. John came out of SUNY up in the Albany system. He was one of their vice presidents, and he brought us also to a whole other level of bringing in new thoughts to the college. He, he was a major part of my life and the college's life. And John and I spoke about it, and we decided to try to open up a little campus in White Plains. But in higher education, you just can't go anywhere you want. It has to be approved by the regents. And they felt there was enough colleges up there, so we were not invited. So New Rochelle was going through a change. They had College of New Rochelle. They had Iona. They had Concordia, but no one was in the downtown area. So we got permission to open our campus, which we did January 1983. And, and this was really in my mind that if things kept going down in the Bronx, had another we had a safe haven now up in Westchester. And the Bronx was very fortunate to get a new borough president by the name of Freddie Farrar. And if I remember... I think it was Richard Nixon who came to the Bronx and looked at all these buildings that were burning. The reason they were burning is the landlords were burning them because they were making more money from getting insurance from a building than from the rent they were getting. And so now we are in New Rochelle. The beginning we started, opened in January, we bought a building. That was the first building we ever really owned was 424 Main Street. And we started with amazingly 118 students. And I think these were basically people lived in New Rochelle who always wanted to go to college and didn't want to travel. So here we were, started with almost 120 students. I was very excited. It was really, we were still on Fordham Road in the Bronx. My mother was still working there. My father kept dropping in. We hired some other people to make sure it's running. I was going back and forth. I was basically in the Bronx, and we had people running the Rochelle. So that, that was the beginning. And one of the reasons we opened where we did in the Rochelle, there was a mall across the street. Right. I thought I was really bright opening up across from the mall, but eventually the mall went out of business. Oh, was I was not as bright as I thought it was. And that got us really through 19, in, in really through the 70s, which was in, into the 80s. And things were becoming more interesting. The college was becoming more sophisticated. We started doing things that we never thought we would do. And then we had, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go up to this point, we got a letter from the state education department of any of the private business schools were interested in going getting degrees. There would be a meeting. I went to the meeting. It was very interesting. This is back in the 70s now. And we then decided to become a degree-granting school. And everyone said this is going to be the best thing that ever happened. And what happened is that we became degree-granting. So now we were degree-granting and we were giving certificates. And this was the beginning of a new stage of our life. We now were giving a two-year degree basically in accounting and secretarial studies. And we started adding more degrees and people started coming to more of our things. Our liberal arts program started growing and we actually started becoming a real college. 
So life got a lot more exciting. I am an alum of Monroe, and I am also on the board of directors with your lovely wife, Miss Leslie Jerome, who is the director. So can you talk to us a little bit about how strong the Alumni Association is and the importance of the role of Mrs. Jerome, Mrs. J, as I affectionately call her, to not only the Alumni Association, but also to the importance of the college. Let Leslie Jerome, who does happen to be my wife, has been in charge of our Alumni Association from probably the very, very beginning. And it has become an unbelievable part of Monroe College. The amount of alumni who are involved in very things that take place at the college, the last one being a roller skating evening in our Bronx campus, which at one time that building was Fordham Roller Skating Ring, that there's just an outpouring of alumni who this is a very important part of their life. And actually, I'm doing podcasts with alumni now, and all I hear is how great the Alumni Association is and how involved they are and how they answer questions. When someone has a problem with a transcript or lost their degree, they always call the alumni office. And Leslie has taken this to a whole other level. She started Toastmaster a number of years ago that has been very successful with a lot of our alumni. But the ones who have really gone on to become very successful have become very involved with the Alumni Association. And it keeps bringing in different people who've gone into different areas of their education. She uses it for networking, for students who may be out of a job and they meet another student who has a job or opening in their business where they work. So she has really uh, molded this into something that you you really realize we have 53 or 57,000 graduates out there. And I, myself, being here for so many years, no matter where I walk in New York City, people stop me and say, hello, President Jerome. And I graduated in 1987. I'm involved with your wife in the Alumni Association. It's so exciting. We all went to a Yankee game this summer. Or we went up wine tasting in New York State, or we went to the aquarium in Connecticut. So it could go on for miles and miles of things that they do. They went up to the Berkshires this summer, many of them, and went to Tanglewood and listened to the Boston Symphony Orchestra. So it's been a very exciting part of the college. And one other thing it does is so many of our graduates send their families and friends to Monroe College. So you don't even need admissions in some cases because the alumni group just doesn't do anything. So I am so proud of what Leslie has done for this college and keep going. And we know at some point when she decides to stop, maybe someone in our family, like a grandchild, may take it over to continue the name Jerome. And if it's not Jerome and they get married, I may pay them to keep their last name still Jerome, but I won't say that out loud. I am delighted to always talk about my wife's success. Well, thank you for sharing that. And we love Mrs. J. We definitely all love Mrs. J. So thank you for talking a little bit about her and what she brings to the table, not only as your wife, but also as the director of the Alumni Association. You gave us a lot of history, Mr. Jerome, and I appreciate that. I'm sure our audience, when they hear this, they're just going to be in our way we started from, where we are at this point. 
90 years strong, right? So if you can just give us just some last minute tidbits of anything that you would like us to know about the college as we're celebrating the 90 year history and anything that is so important to you as being now the chairman of the board. Is there anything else of some last minute you know, parting words for us, wisdom for us? Yes, I, I think I was really blessed with being president of this marvelous institution because we really saw lives change. And especially in the Bronx, where so many people are coming out of families, did not have college graduates and their parents didn't graduate. And we had so many first time students who never came out of a family with someone graduating. And now they started getting associate degrees. And of course, we know eventually they started granting bachelor degrees and master degrees. So we, we were doing, and, and I think our student body, who worked very hard, really became very appreciative of what we did. And what, what started happening in my life is I had a father who then sent his son, and then that son sent his son. So we were dealing with three generations, which really gave us a lot of students coming to us who were recommended by other students. And I, I always say to people at this point in my life, if what would I change in my life to make it different? And my answer was, I wouldn't change anything because I was really blessed by giving the opportunity to be involved with this, with my family starting this back in 1933 and me having the opportunity to do this. And now our next generation is being involved in the college, which is a fourth generation, which is my son, Mark, now who's president and my daughter, Lauren, who's vice president in charge of advertising and marketing, and my other son, Evan, who's in charge of international admissions. And so many people who were with us for so many years that really it's become a home for so many of us and, and a home that really we developed relationships that really in, in most companies, especially today in the world we live in where everything is so impersonal, that one of our strengths was we were a very personal college that had a culture that very few school higher education institutions had. And as I look forward to going into the future, which we'll do another forecast so we could get into the 90s and the 2000s, that it really has developed into a very spectacular place where probably in the ranks of a nice mid-sized college today, accredited by middle states and all other accrediting agencies. And now we have schools of nursing and culinary and technology and education. So very exciting. And when we do our next podcast, we will go on and hopefully continue the excitement that we have in store for us. Plus, I'll get into athletics also. So that's another whole right. part of the college today. And I want to thank you, Anne-Marie, for doing this today. Thank you, Chairman Jerome. As always, it's a pleasure speaking with you. And I want to say we thank you for sharing this history with us. We've come a long way and we have a long way to go. And as a proud alum, I'm always saying my favorite tagline is Monroe proud, Monroe strong. I'll end with one note. I'm working very hard to be around for the college's 100th anniversary which is going to be in the year 2033. I won't tell you how old I'll be at that point, but hopefully I will be there, okay? And I am very, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much, and we You're appreciate you. Take care. Well. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us on this incredible journey through 90 Years Strong, the Monroe College story. We hope you've been inspired by the stories shared and the impact of Monroe College. Stay tuned for more captivating episodes. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And don't forget to visit our website for more resources and opportunities to connect with fellow alumni. Until next time.